We are live. Estamos en vivo. This is the Familia FFB podcast, and this is a very special edition uh, because estamos en vivo. Uh, I'm Jorge Martin, your host, and today we're we're joined by RJ Ochoa. Uh, you know, he is Raza. He is with Blogging the Boys. He's the manager and editor-in-chief. It's under the SB Nation umbrella. So he is one of our insiders, and he's going to give us all the cool stuff on Los Cowboys. Uh, RJ, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Of course, Jorge. It's good to be here. Uh, it's my dog, at least. Uh, it's, it's been a hectic day, I was telling you. Uh, my wife uh, had an issue with him, uh, so he's hanging out with me. Uh, it's trash day, so he wants everybody to know uh, not to mess with his territory. Uh, but it's really good. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, that's awesome! That it's it's so true. It's so it's so funny seeing that seeing that kind of happen. I mean, my dog is actually six feet away from me, but he's zonked out. Uh, so thankfully, I'm, I'm hoping he stays that way. So for the for the rest of the time, so we could talk en paz. Estamos hablando en paz. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm I'm trying to ride him out here, uh, but yeah, that's. It's funny, like they, he was super quiet, super chill for like two hours before this. You know what I mean? And, and like the moment we go live, it's like that's when he wants to. Talk. <laughs> and that's the thing. I didn't even know your dog was in the was in there. And then all of a sudden, it's like, uh, hey, you know what? It's all good. It's all good. As long they're doing their jobs, they are doing their jobs. Um, so I, I wanted to see. I'm obviously. You know the the Cowboys are such a hot button when it comes to the NFL, and that's why I, I really wanted to do this live. And I'm really pumped that you were able to join us on this. The so much has been made of this team, uh, Mike McCarthy going into year two, and uh, Dak Prescott going you know going into the first year after that devastating ankle injury, which to me is right up there with what happened to Alex Smith and Joe Theismann. Those those things. I mean, it was just scary. I mean how it cratered this is a guy who was pushing going to be pushing six six thousand yards if the pace continued when you how can you just kind of tell us how that kind of cratered the season for the for from that standpoint yeah i mean i think it's you know people hear a lot and have heard a lot this is dak prescott sixth year with the cowboys and so um people have heard a lot about he's a great leader on the team and that's that's been something that's been difficult to quantify um, just, just because like, that seems so like football cliche and quarterback cliche. Um, but you know, the, I mean, it was, yeah, everybody saw the game. Everybody knows like kind of how sinking it was when he got hurt. Um, and, and the fact that it was this gruesome injury. And I think that, the, that, that, that adds a little bit more culture shock to it all. Um, but you know, and, and I think it's interesting because he's at a point now and certainly was last year where, you know, time moves fast in the NFL and, and he's, he's now one of the more elder statesmen, you know, in the Cowboys locker room, besides the fact that he is this sort of natural leader. Um, and, you know, it was a week after he got hurt. Uh, there was a, a report from NFL network that, you know, players weren't jiving with the defensive coordinator, that there was all this finger pointing happening. And I mean, that comes out a, a week after, you know, Dak Prescott's gone. And like, that's, that was the first time to me that I really could kind of quantify or, or put some sort of quantity towards what his leadership means. He does kind of keep everything in order. Um, he's he's the senior on campus. He's the, he's the guy. I mean, every player I've ever spoken to talks about how, you know, like they, they say things that you would see in, in, in movies and TV shows. Like he's the guy, they fall in line behind him. And so losing him, I think really just kind of, in the NFL more so than any other sport, when, when a star player like that goes down, certainly a quarterback, it's 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 such a death sentence on your season it's it's such a like well you know we're like what i think about and what i thought about then is you know it, it was it was late october and i thought all right we have to go through 
Halloween. We have to go through Thanksgiving. We have to go through Christmas. We have to go through New Year's and Valentine's. Uh, we have to go through the Masters and the Final Four and the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs and the Little League World Series. Like We have to go through all that stuff just to get back here. And that's such a, a defeating thing. And I think that the Cowboys, you know, they, they didn't have, you know, maybe the discipline or whatever you want to call it to kind of combat that. And, and yeah, they almost made the playoffs because of how bad the division was. But but Dak is that guy. He is that motivation for them um, that w when they do feel like, you know, all hope is lost. I mean, I know it all sounds cheesy and cliche, but um, he, he is that guy that can provide that. And so having him back, I think, is a, is a lot of wind and a lot of different sales. So... You, you know, you've got the the situation where you know he's, he he came back from the, the 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 devastating ankle injury, and I think it was just a huge part that he did not start the season on the pup list, uh, start training camp on the pup list. But you just had an article published, uh, I believe it was last evening, uh, that talking about the fact that you know he's come down with a muscle strain and maybe he misses a little bit of training camp. Can you kind of? update that and i mean is it too early to speculate on this possibly impacting his season the season for him and the cowboys you know i, I think it's always obviously you want to always be cautious with any kind of you know declarations or proclamations but it does seem like all is well um dak was scheduled uh yesterday on wednesday to do his interviews with local television uh, all the dfw local television markets um, he does those every year and and those those went on as normal uh, which was a really good sign. I mean, if, if this had truly been bad, I think the Cowboys would have yanked the plug on that. Uh, today, the day we're talking, um, is actually his birthday. He turned 28 years old today, uh, and he's scheduled to do local or rounds with the local radio stations. And, you know, again, that's something that is, I, I, I'm optimistic. Um, it, it does seem like it was, a, I, again, a scare is maybe too, too aggressive of a term to put on it, but for lack of a better word, just kind of a, a momentary flutter that where things did not feel right. And, you know, Dak said something I've been thinking a lot about since since the issue on Wednesday is uh, when he got paid and he had the press conference, then he talked about, and he talked about it more so like on your, you know, whatever third and sixth play, if, if you're going to reach for the first down marker or you're going to get out of bounds. He talked about how he realizes the, the organization has made this extreme financial commitment towards him and towards his body. And so he has to be more cognizant of that how he can't be haphazard with it because if he does go down, obviously that, you know, with him goes a lot of the Cowboys hopes and promise. And so um, I think that that he just kind of maybe now is at a place where given his, uh, you know, inordinately larger responsibility because of the financial commitment the team made to him, I think he's just playing it safe. And, um, you know, Mike McCarthy said uh, in his, he's also making the rounds on Thursday. Uh, his his radio rounds that Dak Prescott's still going to be part of practice and do kind of the, the running back handoffs and things like that, but they're just going to kind of mitigate his throwing. And so the fact that they're not shutting him down in any sense, whether it be uh, for his public interviews or any involvement in practice is good. Um, I think people will panic a week, that week from today, actually, when the Cowboys play in the Hall of Fame game when he doesn't play, but he wouldn't have played that game anyway. Um, altogether, it does seem like a best case scenario that, that did really pick at some some old scars and, uh, you know, kind of uh, hit, hit those nerves, which is a little bit sensitive. And, and you know, and, and, and the crazy thing is, it, it's, it's crazy to think of him possibly, he's 28 years old, as you mentioned, he's, he, he's been, before that injury, he's been a rock, started every game, kind of like the same, kind of out of the Russell, Russell Wilson mold. And obviously that injury was, you know, yeah, we've seen the play too many times, and it's just a freak play. When you're looking at him 
firing on all cylinders. I mean, we're talking from a fantasy standpoint, uh, top five, possibly even top three quarterback. It, uh, just from the throwing, it does. I mean, obviously, assuming that everything gets quieted down and there, there's no issues from from this muscle strain. Uh, I mean, we're looking at an, another potentially five thousand yard season. Is and but do you think like he might scale back the running a little bit coming off of the the ankle injury? Yeah, I think so. I think that that, that would be wise. Um, and I, I think that that, you know, I don't know that there are as many design runs for him. I think I think everybody's kind of on board with that. Um, I, I've i been thinking a lot about this and I, you know, I don't have any shares of Dak Prescott in any fantasy leagues yet. Uh, I don't have him in any dynasty leagues, but I don't know that I believe he's going to be throwing from his 5,000 yards just because I, I mean, that, that wasn't a sustainable model for the Cowboys last season. They were losing games and I don't think they want to play that kind of football. I think they do want to be more balanced, um, ideally with a great defense. Um, and, and we know he's capable of it. And so, you know, I don't want to take away from that, but people talk so much about all the receivers and a thousand yards for each of them. If that happens, I mean, it means this defense is really porous and that, that is a, an awful combat. Like, People, I don't think people realize because it sounds cool, right? Like, oh, all these receivers are going to get a thousand yards. The right sequence of things have to happen for three receivers to get a thousand yards. You have to be trailing a lot. You have to be in a lot of shootouts. You know, you have to be in, in situations where you have to be throwing, you know, over and over and over again. Um, and like injuries aside, that just wasn't viable for the Cowboys last year. And so I, I think that overall, like fundamentally, they want to get to somewhere different. I certainly think though he he's a he's a top five fantasy quarterback. I, I would rather have Dak at the range you have to draft him versus a Patrick Mahomes or an Aaron Rodgers. Um, but but I think you know looking at like his over unders, I might lean under. Okay. Well, um, you mentioned the, uh, establishing the run, and you had a great article talking about how the Cowboys want to get back to you know that 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 you know grinding out the the running game and that. Yeah, can you kind of sum up a little bit of that article, and then we'll get into Ezekiel Elliott and the running game, and right after that. So Charles Robinson uh, from Yahoo Sports uh, on his podcast, You Pod to Win the Game, mentioned a conversation he had with a Cowboys staffer after he visited camp last week. Uh, and in the conversation, Charles said that uh, he was told that the Cowboys do, I think people here establish the run and they think of the, you know, the archaic model of it. And, they, and you know, people, Mike McCarthy is a coach that people love to, to mock and make fun of. And so it was, it was really a low hanging fruit for that. People saying like this guy, you know, he talks about analytics and he wants to establish the run. Like these are, these are things on the opposite end of the spectrum. I, what I understood my takeaway from it is, is I, th I think the Cowboys, you know, they want to be balanced. And, and I think, you know, they, they want to be an offense that, that can put up points at will. They want to be an offense that operates off a of short field, which wasn't the case with Dak Prescott last year. And they want to run the ball in the fourth quarter. And I think that that's the right combination. We've seen like the Tennessee Titans kind of, you know, have success with that in the last couple of years. Um, I think that's their idea. That That's their ideal combination of sorts because if, if Dak is throwing the ball 50 times a game, it could be Patrick Mahomes, it could be Darren Rodgers, but that's just not a, a sustainable formula for you no matter what. I mean, you know, because the goal is to win is to win games, obviously, um, and, and to salt them away in the fourth quarter. And I think that that's what Mike McCarthy wants to get to, which the Cowboys defense didn't allow them to do last year. If the defense is truly improved, you don't have to be doing this, you know, you know, go crazy, score 50 points a game. There was a lot of talk about like Team 40 burger last year and all that stuff. 40 points is awesome, but but you can win games with 30 points. You can win games with 27 points. And I think that ideally that's what the Cowboys want to do. They just, they've had such a great offense and everything else has been so subpar that they've had to be carried in that sense. And I think that 
ultimately the, 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 the resources they've spent on defense this offseason and, you know, the inclusion of Tony Pollard in the run game more and more. I think that that lends to a style of play that helps everybody. I mean, Dak Prescott is awesome, but you don't have to just rely on Dak Prescott. That's why football is football. So uh, let's talk. Let's talk about that that balance that's coming. Ezekiel Elliott reported to camp, uh, 218 pounds. Yeah, as I, I believe he said, as light as he's been since his freshman year at Ohio State. Uh, and there, and of course, with it came the hey. Best shape of my life. Uh, that 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 you know that that pronouncement that so many teams, uh, so many players come up with. Uh, I want to I want to say he it, last year was kind of a lost season for him. He got COVID during the preseason. You never know how that really impacts somebody because he didn't talk about it. But uh, so many people have talked about how it really impacted them for a long period of time. And he also had some nagging injuries, the calf that made him uh, miss some time. He's 26, still in his prime uh, for running backs. Uh, still, st are we gonna? Are we looking at another workhorse season out of him? So Zeke is such an interesting case study, um, and I think a lot of it is about perception. And I had a friend point out to me, you know, Zeke generally when he when he has a full normalized off season, he generally is is incredible. Obviously, 2016 was his, his most incredible year so far, normal off season. 2017, all the will he be suspended, won't he be suspended, he's suspended, he's no longer suspended. I mean, song and dance that we went through before he actually was suspended. Uh, 2018, full normal offseason, leads the league in rushing again. 2019, holds out, goes to Cabo, misses training camp, the worst season of his career. Uh, last season, to your point, gets COVID himself, and then everybody in the NFL is dealing with all of the you know social distancing protocols and things like that, far from a normal offseason. So this is is one of the more normal years that Zeke has had, obviously since 2018. You know, because of of the holdout and last year's situation, and so I think that that has worked well for him. The weight thing really means nothing to me. Um, it's interesting, um, but but I just you know like that just it does it. I think you're right. It does fit the like I'm in great shape, best shape of my life. That's everybody's in the best shape of their life right now. Um, and so I I think that this is maybe. You know, when when you look at like run, like fantasy running back rankings, you know, if you asked your average NFL fan, like who are the top five running backs in the NFL? I think they probably go Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry. Um, I mean, like, I don't think Zeke, he, it, like, he's not a debate to be in the top five. Like it, it, he's firmly outside of the top five. And like this might be the first time ever that that consensus might be there. And so I think that the expectation for Zeke is as low as it's ever been. Uh, his contract obviously, you know, doesn't necessarily suggest that given that he's paid so highly, which is the frustrating part for a lot of Cowboys fans. Um, but so I, I think that he will outperform expectations, if that makes sense, because I think that they're so low. Um, and I think that the, you know, the Cowboys offense will sing and soar. Um, but I don't think he will ever be the the player we saw five years ago in 2016. But I think that for for every year since then, people expected that. People expected to see this guy that was just going to be incredible the way he was as a rookie. And I think people have finally let go of that expectation, which is I know that, I know I'm kind of riding the fence here because um, I I think he'll just have an average year. I mean, he had the worst season of his career last year, and he had 979 yards, which I think a lot of running backs would take. There's a 17th game now, obviously. I think he's probably an 11, 1200 yard guy. He's never scored a billion touchdowns. Uh, he had six fumbles last year, and as long as he cuts that out, I think ultimately it'll be a productive season for him.
And that's the thing. I mean, I still feel like if you're getting, he's falling to the back of the first back half of the first round, which I think is kind of interesting, especially, I, th I think, I think what happens and you, I mean, you probably live this as much as anybody when it comes to the Cowboys, everything seems to be magnified. It, it's, you know, their offensive line had injuries. Oh, all of a sudden, yeah, I, I, I I do some, you know, everything's, every, everything's over. The sky is falling. You know, Zeke has a little bit of a down year. He's done. And it's, it's crazy. And it's just, I think it's one of those things that he can definitely come back and, and still be productive because he's still 26. That's, uh, uh, I, I think somebody may found that the prime for running backs is basically from the time they're rookies to the to about age 26. So, um, you know, and and obviously he's in the lineage of Emmett Smith and Tony Dorsett, those great running backs that uh, also wore that helmet. Um, but I want to ask, and you and you pointed out a little bit. You, you mentioned Tony Pollard. Uh, there's a little bit of hype in the fantasy community about him possibly getting a little bit more consistent run to give Zeke a little bit of a blow, maybe, you know, kind of get, catch some passes, almost fill a little bit of that Kareem Hunt role that, that, that happened with the Browns. Is that something that's, uh, possible? I mean, could that, could that happen? So the issue with Tony Pollard has never been a lack of talent. He's he's insanely talented, and he he had a chance to start. You mentioned Zeke's calf injury. Zeke missed time due to injury for the first time ever last season, and, and Tony Pollard had a chance to start against uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and I, I think people look at that game, and, and he had like a 40-yard touchdown run at the end of it that kind of inflated everything. Um, and, and that's that's just some necessary context that you know we, we were sure to remind people of. Although, love Tony Pollard. Um, so the issue's never been talent. The issue has always been just timeshare in terms of the way the Cowboys organize it. And that's that's part of the way things have run is, is since 2016, it's been the Zeke show. And, you know, Cowboys coaches, and they, they've changed offensive coordinators, they've changed head coaches, have just kind of, you know, have, have dealt with that. I mean, it's it's a it's an organization, you know, led thing that this is Ezekiel Elliott's backfield. I mean, I think in 2018, they only even carried one other running back on the roster besides, you know, Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, they're, it, they are that concentrated in his efforts. And so, um, you know, when I think of Kareem Hunt and the way he's utilized, at least now in Cleveland, there is a legitimate, you know, devotion to him because he obviously has a lot of talent. And that's, you know, shout out to Kevin Stefanski and, and, and the Browns organization because they realize that. And I think that, that, and I think that that kind of mixes with the expectation for Zeke is, you know, he's touched the ball so many times over the last five years. And I think the Cowboys realize that they want to preserve him. They realize that Tony Pollard is really great. They have these great options. Um, and Tony Pollard's probably the best option outside of Zeke the Cowboys have had in the backfield since they drafted Zeke. Um, so I, I think that they will be more concentrated in that effort. But I still, you know, I, I would personally still view Tony Pollard as, as a handcuff, as a, as a potential, you know, wild card of sorts. Uh, almost the way I viewed J.K. Dobbins last year. Like, I never really thought J.K. was going to get in the mix in Baltimore. And um, and he did, and, and he was kind of special. You know, I don't think he was what people thought he was going to be, uh, at least what I thought what he was going to be when I drafted him. But, um, you know, I, I think he's he's got that potential, but I, I don't think you could play him week in and week out, you know, even as the season goes on. He, his true value is obviously as he goes down. But part of the issue is, is you know, I think we used, we've looked at, uh, you know, running back situations like this in the past and said this offensive line is so great if starter x is out i definitely want the backup i can stream that guy for a week the cowboys offensive line is, is still 
good and, and still certainly passable. Uh, but it's not what it once was. And I think that and there's a national consensus because people look at the Cowboys offensive line and they've been this great for so long. They've progressed a little. They're older. Um, their health is a question. They look really great right now at camp, which is encouraging. But, you know, it's it's not an offensive line that I would say, well, they're that great. I'll play any running back that, that's back there in, in any given week. Um, I'm excited about Tony Pollard, but I, I wouldn't draft him personally just because the Cowboys have, have shown no desire to play any running back that isn't a big deal yet. So uh, really, the, this offensive line getting back to, uh, I was going to ask you about this later, but you know, you touched on it a little bit here. When it comes to that line, it, it, it really does come down to health, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's an underrated part of last season and kind of the funk the Cowboys were in. Their right tackle, Lyle Collins, didn't play at all. Their left tackle, Tyron Smith, only played two games. And even, you know, the fact that they were gone is as big of a deal as that is. Their their primary options, but you know, besides them, were two undrafted free agents. Brandon Knight, who was in his second year in the NFL last year, a UDFA, and Terrence Steele, who was a rookie last year, an undrafted free agent. And so, I mean, it wasn't, you know, just like they went from starters to reserve players. They went from starters to just, I mean – almost literally just bodies. And I say that with, with total respect for Brandon Knight and Terrence Steele and what they did last year, but that drop-off was was immense. And I think a lot of great quarterbacks can can make up for poor offensive line play, but you know, Andy Dalton can't do that. And so everything collapses when that's bad. And so, you know, and I think another element, so the Cowboys were down their top two tackles. They were down their starting quarterback. They were down Blake Jarwin. I mean, they went into the 2020 season you know, under the impression that he was going to be their their top tight end. They paid him. They extended him last offseason. And, and Dalton Schultz did play admirably in his absence. But, I mean, they were they lost four offensive starters, uh, you know, the two most important players in your quarterback and your left tackle. And so, I mean, that, that just really weakened everything uh, and really made everything else difficult to overcome. Well, let's get back to the skill guys. And I, I don't think there's a, a more exciting trio of receivers than what the Cowboys have. Obviously, Amari Cooper, you've got C.D. Lamb, who is rising up the rankings uh, in fantasy, and Michael Gallup, who's kind of that guy, you know, a lot of people look at him as that um, forgotten guy, but he's still going to get, you know, push push for targets. Considering the fact that the Cowboys, as, as you mentioned, the Cowboys' best success is to have a more balanced attack, not try and throw for 5,000-plus five, 5, yards. Um, how do you see the targets shaking out, especially considering the fact that Amari Cooper's starting training camp on the pup list? Yeah, you know, the Amari situation is really interesting. Um, you know, for any non-Cowboys fan, you know, this is this is a contract year for Michael Gallup. And if the Cowboys wanted to, they could get out of Amari Cooper's deal next offseason and only absorb six million dollars against their salary cap. So there is a world or a timeline uh where in the offseason, after the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, obviously. Um, where they, they say, you know what, Amari, thanks, but no thanks, you know, happy trails, move on. We're going to extend Michael Gallup. I, I, and so, like, I do think that there's a lot of, you know, evaluating happening, you know, to see which wide receiver of those two they want to pair with C.D. Lamb in the future. Um, I, I certainly believe that C.D. Lamb uh, would have outperformed Justin Jefferson last year, which I know is a bold claim uh, if Dak Prescott had played the entire season. And I, I, this is the year that C.D. Lamb establishes himself as the alpha of this group. I mean, he's, he's clearly the most talented. He still hasn't really even come into his own NFL body yet, um, which, which will only make him better. I mean, he's, he's really incredible. And I think he's the most exciting player on the offense, uh, certainly among the skill positions. And so 
that's the guy I want the most shares of. Although I realize the price, you know, that you're going to have to pay in your standard league is, is going to be pretty high. I, I've been saying for a while, I think the best value if you're drafting them is probably Michael Gallup because he's he's the the least popular household name uh, among the three. But I actually do think the best value might be Amari um, in terms of just true value because I think people think of, of top wide receivers and they're going to draft Tyreek Hill. They're going to draft Mike Evans and Chris Goggin. They're going to draft, you know, Justin Jefferson. They're going to draft A.J. Brown and Julio. And, and I think that, I think that every average fo- – Amari is so slept on national. ESPN um, did their executive rankings um, last week and where they polled, you know, different executives and coaches throughout the league uh, for the top wide receivers in the NFL. There were 19 wide receivers listed in that whole, you know, assessment and whole analysis, and none of them were Amari Cooper. And so I, I think that most people, you know, when you get to that point, I think people are going to draft Odell and Jarvis Landry and, you know, I think, you know, people are going to be really high on Devontae Smith. And, like, I think that I think that people are just kind of sleep on Amari Cooper. So you'll have to pay more for Amari than you will Michael Gallup. But I do think that that value is there. He, I, I, I'm not above saying that I think he might miss time due to injury. That's just kind of been his thing, which is a demerit against him and why the Cowboys might prefer Michael Gallup in the future. Um, but but when Amari is on, I mean, you're talking about a guy that in, in standard scoring is, is good for 20 to 25 points, again, depending on, on how your, your league is formatted. Um, I mean, you know, the Cowboys, only one wide receiver in Dallas Cowboys history has multiple 200-yard receiving games, and it's Amari Cooper, who hasn't even been with the team for three full years. He, he hit that mark in, like, his, like, first 14 games with the team. Um, so, I mean, he is – I don't want to say he's all or nothing – um, but I mean, he is, he, he's very, very, very valuable. And I think that there's a lot to be coveted there. Michael Gallup will be the last one drafted, but there will be people like, I think a lot of people, a lot of fantasy people, cause fantasy people are so smart and do all their research. And so I think fantasy people have, have kind of caught up or are hip to Michael Gallup, but a lot of people will, will choose different people. And I think, I think people will even choose Michael Thomas over Amari at this point. They'll say, I know he's hurt, but you know, he's a number one, you know, I don't want to deal with Amari and all this stuff. And so uh, Amari might be the best value at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the rankings. CD Lamb is one spot ahead uh, in fantasy pros expert consensus rankings than Amari Cooper. So it's, it, it's, it's, people are listening to you. I mean, that, this That's is wild. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's truly wild to me not to, not to cut you off. And again, I believe in CD. Like I, I certainly, you know, uh, yesterday, uh, bet online released their over unders for different, you know, things and CD lambs over under for receiving yards was 1100.5. That's basically over 1100 yards and six and a half for touchdowns. And I mean, in, in 17 games with, with a full season of Dak Prescott, like I, I certainly believe CD smashes that. Uh, but I think Amari's still good for a thousand, you know, eleven hundred yards. And I mean, if if there is a wide, we, and we haven't seen this from CD Lamb because he hasn't really. CD has played four full games with Dak Prescott, and they were the first four games of his NFL career. Um, and so, you know, it's hard to really know what he can be. But Amari has absolutely taken over different games, and so I I still am inclined to trust that. Uh, if you can get multiple shares of the Cowboys' offense, those are probably the two guys you want. Um, but you're going to have to pay a lot for it. Obviously I, I don't, if I have some CD shares in some dynasty leagues, I don't know that I would spend, uh, you know, that what the pick that it's going to take to get CD in a standard redraft because the Cowboys situation is so not fluky, but there's so many options. I want Dak Prescott, uh, but I'll let somebody else jump on CD in a standard league. 
and and doesn't if if I'm remembering correctly, doesn't CD have the the number of honor uh, among wide receivers for the Cowboys? He does, uh, which is you know it adds to the. I mean, he's 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 really he's he's a walking legend at this point, and he's he's really fun. He's really easy to root for, and and he, it just it just kind of fits. And so um, you know, I'm I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. Um, if, if you, if somebody was able to land him, although they probably paid a heavy price to get him in a dynasty league last year, um, I think he's going to pay off some massive dividends for people. And I'll let you put a bug in his ear to change his uh, Twitter handle to Ocho Ocho. So he should. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you mentioned Blake Jarwin. So this is gonna be the last uh, question on the skill side. Uh, Blake Jarwin coming back from the ACL surgery. I, I think you mentioned it's a big deal that, uh, he was not placed on the pup list. Uh, obviously you still got Dalton Schultz there and, uh, you know, he's got Jarwin has the contract to be paid for. Is he going to become, uh, a, a, I'm not going to say focal point, but just someone that's not going to have to say, Hey, throw it to me here. He's going to be a part of this offense. Don't you think, do you think that's, that's maybe the hardest thing to figure out and, you know, like to start, I wouldn't want a Cowboys tight end, honestly, just because it, I think it will be frustrating uh, because Dalton Schultz did play so well. Blake Jarwin is the guy they paid last year. And so I think that there's a level of devotion there. It's great for Blake that he did not start on the pub list, um, but it's it's Dalton Schultz is a better blocker. And so that gives him more opportunities on the field. And so it, I think that's that's going to be such a game of cat and mouse. I think you're going to be chasing points every week. And, and I know that there, there aren't a lot of startable tight ends in the NFL in terms of, of fantasy, but um, I, I would just rather be somewhere else. I would rather have Evan Ingram. I would even with the Kyle Rudolph situation. Like I would, I would rather have something like that where I just it, it 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 gives me more peace to just have one guy that I can start, even if it's not a you know not everybody gets Travis Kelsey or George Kittle um, or Darren Waller or maybe John o. Smith. But I just would not want to have to you know flip that coin every week because I truly do believe, tight in such a like touchdown dependent position uh, when it comes to fantasy. And so I and I certainly think that the Cowboys will get a lot of production out of Jarwin and Schultz. It's just it's going to be a coin flip every week, every other week. Who's the guy? Who's the one? Um, and I just I wouldn't want to touch that myself. So uh, do you see I mean, we've talked about so many guys and these are high profile, highly drafted uh, players that we're talking about in, in fantasy. I mean, from the quarterback, running back and receiver side, any sleepers that that uh, that people need to keep an eye on? That's, you know, that's tough. Um, people talk so much about how the, the Buccaneers are bringing back all of their starters from the Super Bowl, right? Like all 11 offensive and defensive starters. The Cowboys are returning all 11 intended offensive starters last year. The right tackle didn't play at all, as mentioned, but so you can't really say that. But their starting offense, at least on paper last year, included Lyle Collins, included C.D. Lamb. And so all 11 of those players are back. Um, and so in that sense, it's tough to find any sleeper. And it's also, I mean, maybe Tony Pollard, but Tony, he's not a sleeper. Like everybody knows who Tony Pollard is. Like he might be the guy who most fits that description, um, which is a very loose one at this point. Maybe Cedric Wilson, who's, who's the team's fourth wide receiver, had some moments last year, had a great game in Seattle before Dak Prescott got hurt, uh, actually threw Dak a touchdown in the game that Dak was hurt. Um, so he's, he's involved. And I mean, you've got your top three wide receivers. Then there's, you know, the next tier is just kind of Cedric by himself. Um, and so he'll be involved. Uh, but, but now, now that the Cowboys have two tight ends that they really value, you know, last year, all the focus was about playing out of 11 personnel, 11 personnel. We want all three wide receivers on the field at the same time. 
Now they have two tight ends they trust. There's been a lot of discussion about playing more at a 12 personnel. And even that's such a, a hard thing to focus on because, okay, if you're going to play at a 12, you have to take one of these wide receivers off the field. And so I just think that that creates less opportunities for Cedric Wilson. But that's that's a guy that maybe, again, if, if you're trying to, to reach and scratch the bottom of the barrel, um, Cedric Wilson's probably the guy. Let's go to the other side of the ball real quick. Uh, this was a defense that was very forgiving. I mean, I I, I, I got to tell you, I targeted them a lot with uh, players, both uh, on my fantasy teams and also on daily fantasy DraftKings. Those uh, and um, so much emphasis was placed uh, in the draft on adding to the defense, getting getting that side. How how do you see that? Uh, getting them back to at least maybe the middle um, so that the, the offense can maybe just play, hey, let's outscore them, kind of like the Chiefs? Yeah, I think, you know, we generally see um, when teams are at, at like the, you know, one end of the spectrum of something in any measurement, any stat, any, you know, data point, whatever, there is generally some regression to the mean the following year, just because it's it's so difficult to live in extremes year in, year in, year out, whether they're positive or negative extremes. And so I think, you know, the Cowboys have unfortunately been at the negative end of the spectrum when it comes to creating turnovers as a defense. Um, they're so bad at that. You know, the first, I think it was the first four games last year, um, they had, the, the Cowboys offense had two possessions where they started on the positive side of the 50-yard line. Um, one was off of an interception that Chita Wuze had in week one against the Rams. And the other was after the watermelon kick, onside kick that they had against the Atlanta Falcons. Um, so, you know, and, and I think that that also, you know, like this goes to the offense because the reason the Cowboys offensive players were so great is every drive is, you know, you've got to go 70 yards, 75 yards, 80 yards. And so like those yards have to be calculated somewhere. And so I, I think that that regression happens in a positive way. Again, I'm not saying they, they go from one end of the spectrum to the other, but I do think they get maybe not maybe not to the mean, but closer to the mean than, than they have been in years past. I, and I, some of that is just football. Some of that's just like tipped passes that, that end up as interceptions or, you know, weird fumbles and things like that. I do think that they will be more prone to generating turnovers. I think that in general, the, the floor of the defense will rise because, again, it will be difficult to be that bad. And so I think that that, that affects everything. Um, I, I don't know that I, I'm willing to say you still can't target them. Like, I, I think it would be fair to target them in, in week one when Tampa plays them. Maybe, in, I, maybe week two when Justin Herbert plays them. You know, like, they're those – and I would, I would definitely – I would have no hesitation playing your, you know, your average dudes against them, even when they play the Falcons. Like, you know, if you want to play – I mean, you're never not playing Calvin Ridley or anything like that. But, um, you know, like, I, I would not be fearful of them in any way. Will they be the worst Stevens in the NFL again? Probably not. I think they'll be much closer to average, but I, I don't think they'll prevent you from, from doing anything you want to. Um, but they, I think that they'll help translate things into, into more wins for the Cowboys, which is obviously their specific goal. Um, but I do think that they will impact, you know, and that goes back to the kind of the, the 5,000 yards, 3,000 yard receivers things. I do think that they will help mitigate some of the damage that the offense was having to overcome, which will we'll, we'll look, I, I, I think that, you know, after the first three, four weeks of the season, people will be saying, well, Dak's only averaging 275 yards a game. Like, what's going on? It could be a matter of, yeah, he because he's got shorter fields to work with, because the defense is doing their job. Um, so I think that, you know, I think the defense is okay. Now, this is a long answer, but um, if you if you are feeling risky against them, I you know, you don't have any reason to kind of shudder at this moment. They, they do look great through camp, um, and so it'll be very fascinating to see how they work during the preseason.
No, that's awesome. Awesome. Well, that, that's it for the football side. Uh, you know, I want I, I think one of the reasons why I'm really excited about having you on, it's always good to have, talk to a fellow Latino working in media because I still feel like we don't have enough uh, faces like ours out there. And, you you know, you growing up in Texas, by the way, I want to shout out to my familia Martin in Arlington. Tio Efren, Tio Amparito, Irma, Efren, Güero, Jesse. Patti, Carmen, but maybe uh, what? Who were your uh, early inspirations to you know kind of want to get into media? And uh, how great was it to not hear the oh you know the, no Mexicans are doing that? So um, for me, and uh, the the trash is passing me, so that's, that's why uh, Bear uh, is uh, is letting them know. Chat uh, Thursdays are always a fun day, so apologies. Thank you for <laughs> no, está bien, está bien, um, está bien. You know, I, I grew up in the Rio Grande Valley, um, and I still live in the Rio Grande Valley. For anyone that, that didn't know or doesn't know, it's the bottom tip of Texas. It's uh, it's right near Mexico. Um, in fact, the, the, the city I grew up and went to high school in, Brownsville, Texas, is literally the border town right next to Matamoros, Mexico. Um, my my dad actually works, and, and my whole life has worked in Mexico. He crosses every day. Uh, he works at a maquiladora, which for anyone that doesn't know is, is an American-based company. Uh, that has a plant in Mexico. So he crosses every day to work. And so, you know, obviously, you know, growing up as a Mexican-American, um, you know, my, you know, kind of standard things and growing up in the culture that I did, I'm, I'm super grateful for it and uh, grateful for the things that my family taught me along the way. In, in terms of inspiration, I mean, you know, um, I never really had a, a Mexican-American inspiration. I tell people this all the time, and not that this is, you know, breaking news or anything like that, but um, like when I went to college, uh, you know, we would, I went to Texas a and University and, you know, you'd be sitting at somebody's friend's house on the weekend or something and movies would come on and the movie Selena would come on and people would, would kind of just like have fun with it and, you know, talk about like the bumper and things like that. And, you know, I, I would tell people like, you have no idea like what, you know, because we would start talking about, and I, I would say like what her death really, like how it, it just devastated, um, you know, our culture. And I, I remember my, my grandfather, um, had, and this is just kind of an old person thing, I think. Um, but when I was, was a kid, he had a, just a, a framed photo of her in, in his house. Like it wasn't like autographed or anything, uh, but just, just a framed photo, just like out of, out of pride. Um, and, and it really like, that's, you know, I was six years old when she passed away, but I, I remember that vividly. I mean, I remember the, the level of devastation in, in my family and in the way my mom and my grandmother and my aunts and everything. Um, kind of were impacted. And so in a lot of ways, and, you know, growing up, a lot of people is, is you know, I would ask questions about her. Um, what, what meant a lot to hear was was how she kind of pioneered this path for people. And so, in, you know, I never really thought about that. But Selena was a really huge inspiration for, I think, a lot of Mexican-Americans. And uh, my family is from the Corpus Christi area, which is where she's from, too. So just that, that hit home a little bit harder uh, than, than just from a cultural sense. And so um, I never really saw any, any, any analysts, any sports people, um, you know, that, that, that were Mexican-American, that were Latino or anything like that. Um, you know, I'm a big golf fan, so always was a huge fan of Lorena Ochoa. Um, obviously, just but some of that's like her last name. We would joke with people and, and say that she was like our cousin and stuff. Um, and, and that was really it. Um, you know, there, there weren't a lot of, of, of people to kind of look to in that sense. Um, but, you know, in, in terms of media people in general, um, I, you know, I've always looked up, you know, uh, spitting this a fantasy discussion to I've always loved the way Matthew Barry has written. Mm -hmm. I, I loved how I've always felt like when Matthew Barry writes, it never feels like I'm reading something that it always feels like a story. And that's, that's something I've tried to, to emulate and, and try to do in my own way. 
Um, and, and you know, I'm I'm a firm believer that that it time is our most precious gift in life. Uh, I, I mentioned my grandmother; her favorite scripture was Ecclesiastes three: "A time for everything." And and time is is our our absolute most precious thing that we have. It's 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 you can't you can't bottle it. You can't get it back. You know, time is so valuable. And the fact that that people are willing to give us their time, whether it's by reading something or by listening or by watching, because they could spend that time doing anything else in the world, is is really such a precious gift. And so I've always tried to to make sure that whatever time they're giving us or giving you or giving me or whatever is worth it because it is valuable. And I got to tell you, I mean, I want I want kids to look at you. I want, you know, I mean, I've obviously had kids uh, ask me about my background. I mean, obviously I've had the media background and, you know, you mentioned Selena, uh, uh, I'm a little bit older than you. I, you know, one of the great inspirations in my growing up years was Fernando Valenzuela, uh, the, you know, the great Mexican pitcher for the Dodgers. I mean, he is, I mean, growing up in LA, he is just deity still. I mean, he's still an announcer with the team, but yeah, it was one thing where like, I took my, I took my dad and a couple of my tios to meet him. And it was like, these all were men in their seventies. And it was just like, they were all kids. And because he was so, he's so revered and they even said, you know, gracias por uh, levantarnos. And that, that to me is uh, one of the, like that, that when I look at, when I see what you're doing, no, no se estás levantando. So I, I, I want, I want to, you know, keep doing, keep doing what you're doing and, uh, you know, just keep being a shining face for us. And uh, one last uh, fun question, because, you know, we're, we're Latinos and we're Mexican. We're supposed to be connoisseurs of tacos. Uh, what are your favorites? Yeah, that's, that's my favorite thing that you've asked so far, and that's because I enjoy <laughs> talking about everything. Um, I, I did want to say one last thing. Uh, oh, sure. Is, um, you know, just because you, that, that's such a great point, you know, uh, because there, there's such a, a strong, you know, semblance of culture in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, I've, I've been to one Dodgers game, and that was a really, a, you know, really strong vibe I got when I went out there. Uh, but Abraham Answer, somebody, uh, Mexican golfer on the PJ Tour, um, that, that I think is another, like, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful for younger people just because, I mean, he's, he's such a great golfer. Um, he's from the Rio Grande Valley too. And I think that he has a chance to really kind of be this, this Lodena Ochoa, this, this, whoever it may be a, a really shining spot, uh, for, for today's youth, which is really exciting. Um, so I mentioned, I grew up in the Valley, still live in the Valley. Uh, it's tough to beat, you know, the Rio Grande Valley. Like I said, I lived in San Antonio forever and people would say, you know, San Antonio has the best this and it'd be like, you have no idea. Like, and that's cause San Antonio's food is really great. Uh, but it's, it's nothing like the Rio Grande Valley. I mean, if, if it's up to me, like if it's, we're going, you know, it's a Friday night, you know, or it's a Saturday night, you know, it's 2 AM. We've been studying all night, obviously. Um, you know, uh, I, I want to go to the, the greasiest truck. I know greasiest <laughs> place. In high school, there was a great place by our high school called Mr. Taco. Um, you know that we would go to. Just I want I want a you know a styrofoam box filled with bistec tacos, dressed with with onions, cebolla, and cilantro, and and I just and I want a Mexican Coke in a glass bottle. That's I mean that's my like Nirvana right there. Oh, that's awesome! That's awesome. You know one one that I I'm kind of surprised that I don't get a lot is birria. Uh, that's another, yeah. that's another favorite. And, uh, Oh God, you're, you're making me hungry, making me hungry. I know that I've had some pretty, uh, interesting, uh, answers, uh, here and there. I've even had sesos a couple times and, uh, which I, I, I ate a lot as a kid. Then I realized what it was and I kind of shied away from that <laughs> afterward, but, uh, oh man, RJ, 
Thank you so much. Gracias, gracias. Fue un gran placer to have you on. Please, please feel free to uh, share with our familia community where everybody where everybody can find your work. Because sure. it's a lot. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, my Twitter is kind of a hub for everything I do, just at RG Ochoa. Um, you know, blogontheboys.com obviously is our, our landing spot for everything. Our, we're on Twitter as well at Blog on the Boys. Uh, we have a podcast ourselves. Uh, we have different shows on it. Uh, but, you know, we're available on all podcast platforms. You can just search for Blog on the Boys. Uh, our YouTube channel, we've, we've put a lot of effort, um, you know, towards our YouTube channel this offseason. Really excited about what we're doing there this season. Uh, again, just blogging the boys. That's kind of our, our staple name for everything. But uh, we do a lot on YouTube. We do a lot of podcasts. Obviously, we have a ton of articles that come out every day. Uh, it's really exciting now that football's here. Uh, it feels like time. I mentioned how valuable time. Like, it feels like it doesn't belong to me anymore. Um, like, it's just like my, my life is so regimented. But it's a really exciting thing. And, um, you know, it, it's it's I, I love the, the Cowboys are something that I, you know, we've talked a lot about family that I share with my family. And so, I have the coolest job in the world. I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. And so it's it's such a, a, a wonderful thing to enjoy the season, enjoy fantasy. Uh, my, my longest running league, this is our 12th year. And so it's oh. great to have that family and that history and just, you know, and have those the, the group messages and everything. And so um, I'm really excited about uh, this coming season. I'm super thankful you had me on. Uh, sorry about the dog, about Bear. He just, you know, he does that. He wants to be on the shows himself. Um, he's He's really selfish. Uh, is how he rolls, but uh, but we put up with him. I don't know why, uh, but but this was a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm hopeful that I was completely wrong, and that the Cowboys do throw for five thousand yards, and Dak does, and have all this stuff uh, because it will be. I'm I'm really this you know last season was such a downer for the Cowboys, and so it's really exciting um, to to go into this season kind of full steam ahead and, and just enjoy it. I, you know, I, I think that my my last thought is, you know, something I tell people all the time, and this was even true last year, as bad as they were you will never do your Christmas shopping with them out of it. Like that, that you will never be doing your Christmas shopping. And, and like the, you know, the draft is all they have to look forward to. They, they will frustrate you. They will scare you. They will terrify you. They will lift you up. But when you're doing your Christmas shopping, when it's December 14th or whatever, or if you're doing it a little bit later, I guarantee you, you can, you'll be checking your phone. You'll be getting alerts because they will be in the mix. They always make it interesting somehow, some way. And so uh, I'm excited to see how they do it this year. And they always pull off like some sort of win that just uh, goes yeah. like I still remember the game from that where they beat up on New Orleans. I think it was a Thursday night game. And it just like everybody exploded and they were Super Bowl contenders the next day. It was phenomenal. That's that's how they roll, man. I mean, um, <laughs> it's it's a great, um, great joy. Um, and I'm really excited to see um, how they do it this year. Yeah, and you get to ride the wave. And uh, everybody, familia otra vez, thank you for joining us live in vivo. This was phenomenal. I always love being able to highlight fellow Latinos doing this. Uh, you Make sure you follow our Familia FFB Facebook page. Also, make, come to familiaffb.com. Make sure you're going to Anchor and uh, YouTube to give us give us a we're on all podcasts and networks. We're on YouTube. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Uh, you can find me at Jorge Martin 17. You can find our Twitter and Instagram at Familia FFB for our, our, our show page. And again, everybody, thank you so much, Familia. Remember, todos somos familia. Salud.